It's time for Fed Talk, the live show for Feds in the Know. From federal agencies to Capitol Hill, the attorneys of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth bring in experts from across the federal community to bring you inside the issues. Fed Talk is meant to provide general information about legal issues. However, the views expressed in this program are not intended to provide legal counseling. Listeners are cautioned not to rely upon any statements made in resolving legal issues they may face, but instead to consult with their own attorney about specific situations. Attorneys are not engaged in providing legal services while appearing on the program and are not responsible in any manner for the consequences that may stem directly or indirectly from reliance on any statement made during this program. Good morning and welcome to Fed Talk. I am Tony Vernetti from Feds, Federal Employee Defense Services. And today is Friday, November 20th, 2015, the week before Thanksgiving. And we have a jam-packed show for you today. As most of you know, we are in the throes of open season for all federal employees, which is that time of year where feds are looking at their benefits and making changes to insurances and other benefits. So we figured it would be a good time to talk about some financial planning tools and strategies for federal employees. Before we get started, I want to remind everyone that Fed Talk is brought to you by Federal Long-Term Care Partners. Long-Term Care Partners administers the OPM's Office of Personnel Management-sponsored Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program. For more information, go to www.ltcfeds.com. That's www.ltcfeds.com. So we are going to do the show today in two parts. First, I have my good friends from Livingston Financial here to tell us about the five biggest mistakes made in retirement planning. Livingston Financial is a financial planning firm that caters to federal to the federal employee community. So let me introduce Michael Livingston and his better-looking cousin, Glenn Livingston. <laughs> Guys, good morning and welcome to the show. Thank you, hey, Tony. good morning. That hurts a little. Yeah, it really well, does. Glenn Appreciate paid me that, so. a dollar for that. <laughs> okay. I think it was a silver dollar. For the, for the second half of the show, we'll be talking to WEPA uh, about the supplemental insurances they offer to federal employees, such as life insurance as an alternative or supplement to Fegley, and we're going to spend more longer period of time on long-term care insurance. But um, let's start with Livingston Financial. So, Michael, let me ask you to start us off by introducing your firm to our listeners. And I know that you have some really exciting disclosures that, that <laughs> the pesky regulators make you read before we Absol- get started. Absolutely, Tony. I'm going to let Glenn read that real quick, and then we'll get into this. So, All right. Well, Glenn and Michael are registered representatives of Invest Financial Corporation, member FINRA, SIPC. Invest and its affiliated insurance agencies offer securities, advisory services, and certain insurance products. Invest is not an affiliate affiliated with Livingston Federal or its affiliates or other entities named. Invest does not provide tax or legal service, uh, and Invest cannot speak to the accuracy of the FERS, Civil Service, Fegley, or other government program information presented, information obtained from the Office of Personnel Management. So if you're thoroughly confused, then our compliance (laughs) department has done its job. Absolutely, (laughs) absolutely. So Tony, about Livingston Federal, uh, we do work with uh, federal employees. We're financial advisors. Uh, We've uh, also chartered federal employee benefit consultants, which means we've taken tests to understand the benefits and and can talk the language of the federal employee as financial advisors. We've been doing this now for a little over 10 years now, uh, working with them. And uh, it actually started as Livingston Financial Group, as our right. home company. My dad started back in 1986 up in uh, Westminster, Maryland. And that's where our home office is located. We have offices throughout D.C. We have advisors across the country. Uh, we do seminars now for a lot of agencies for retirement planning for them, come in and do the educational piece. 
We also provide for anybody that's a federal employee a free benefit analysis that they can get from us. And I know we'll talk about that a little bit later. Our website's the best place to get that, livingstonfederal.com. And I'm sure we'll share that again. But uh, I know today the main thing you wanted us to kind of talk about today was kind of looking at, as we've done this through the years now with federal employees, is really the five biggest mistakes that we see federal employees make. We know there can be a lot more, but... Right. But yeah, I, yeah, I like that because I like breaking things down and, you know, in, 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 in threes, fives, tens, whatever, whatever it is, because whenever you're talking... Talking about something um, as challenging or daunting, you know, as 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 financial as financial planning, you know, it, it's important to break it down for them. You know, I used to always say, as I finally in, in these these years have gotten some of my own financial advice, I always said, you know, I know just enough about <laughs> financial matters to do myself real real damage. Right. <laughs> um, and you know, and that's the same, you know, for for federal employees. So. So let's jump right into it. Um, the, the five mistakes that that you guys you know see. Um, I'm surprised to see this this number one. You know, is not knowing your retirement eligibility. I understand, and most people when they hear that say, "Well, of course I know my eligibility." And, and we say the reason we bring that up first is because it's really about understanding exactly when you can retire, and it's knowing your retirement service computation date. That's the big one. Is most people they know their service computation date off their leave and earnings statement but not understanding that the retirement service computation date can actually be at a different is a different date possibly there. And that's exactly it. Your retirement service computation date is for the purpose of calculating uh, retirement. Uh, your service computation date on your leave and earnings statement is for the purpose of calculating leave and earnings. For instance, they might have your on your leave and earnings statement it might include your military time, but on your if you haven't paid it back as a FERS employee, it's not going to show up for your retirement service computation date. So one of the big recommendations to solve this whole thing is to contact your HR department at your agency. If you're within a few years of retiring, it's a great idea to get a retirement printout. And on one of those pages of your printout, you'll see exactly your service. And you can break it down. It doesn't make sense. Are they giving you credit? I can't tell you the number of people who have paid back their military time but they did not actually get credit from the agency. And see, the thing is, while you're working, the agency is your HR department. The day you retire, OPM becomes your HR department. So you really want to get all this stuff fixed at the agency you level. You want to still let's not pick on OPM, but you want to start with your agency. Yeah, it's Absolutely. just a lot easier. You know, it's, they, a smaller... it's, it's a smaller. They got a, they, you know, they've got a benefit officer. That's their job to do this. You know, you mentioned the military stuff because sometimes you know it may not make sense to buy your, your your military time if you're in the military like I was when I was enlisted and made nothing. You know, it's it's it, getting those years was you know was great, and you can run and they'll run you a benefit analysis on, on you know. Mm-hmm. From both sides of it right so you can make an in, informed decision but and, um and looking at that really the best thing we tell people is their sf50s are going to be their proof if they right. have to prove it make sure they get those right now everything like that is digital so we also tell people it's probably a good idea maybe download those before you retire because if afterwards it's kind of hard to get back in there and get them without requesting them from opm so kind of good to have that stuff ahead of time with you on that side also, it might take 20 minutes to find a mistake, but it might take six months to fix it. Oh, yeah. Because there's always the paperwork. You got to have a form and the proof and send it in and people have to sign off on it. So you, this is not something you want to do three weeks before you retire or find out in retirement that you did not get credit for the military time or, or whatever it might be or some different services and agencies. So you want to get this all settled well before you retire. Right. It, it seems like something that should be very simple, but but sometimes sometimes it's not. And that's the problem. So number two, um, no knowledge of expected retirement income. What, so this means like what, you, what you're what you actually going to get, right? Right. A lot of times people come to us, especially they find out that we work with federal employees and they'll, hey, I have this much of my TSP. Is that enough for retirement? And our, we give the famous you know, financial advisor answer of 
it depends on what it is. Uh, uh, depends really on the situation. I'm a lawyer. I own half that answer. <laughs> <laughs> Ambiguous answers. Yeah. Uh, and we tell people the truth is you really got to kind of start with the end in mind. So we tell people the first thing you got to do is knowing that retirement income is looking at what are your needs. What are your retirement needs that you're going to need? And uh, everybody's going to be different. You know, you're going to have some people that no debt. They're going to live in a lower uh, cost of living uh, locality. And they're not going to need nearly as much as that person that wants to travel the world and has two homes and just refinance their 30 year mortgage and they're going into retirement. They're going to need a lot more income. So you got to know that need. You got to know where you're going to. And and with that, I'll say, be careful that uh, that you're not listening to that financial advisor in the cubicle next to you, that their picture of retirement is completely different. <laughs> uh, careful on that. <laughs> I mean, do you, do you find it that people you know actually really don't know what their benefit is going to be? I, you know, I, I, I didn't know when I was a federal employee and I know a lot of my colleagues, you know, didn't know. And I talk to people. People every day who really don't know and I just send them to the to the benefit office but you know particularly you know if the you know the the colleague in the cubicle next to him is a CSRS employee you know when you're a FERS employee that benefit is dramatically different absolutely it's almost like playing the telephone game as a kid they start whispering things around the room and it gets completely different so people get the the benefits mixed up a lot of times so making sure they know that need and then calculating that pension you know, that's the big one, making sure that you know what you're going to get from your pension and making sure it's correct uh, mm-hmm. on those kind of things. And also, don't forget, if you're a FERS employee, you also get a FERS supplement or also called your Social Security supplement to bridge that gap between full eligibility for retirement and age 62 when Social Security, uh, you're eligible to kick that in at that point in time. So as a financial advisor, one of the things that we like to see, and it doesn't always work out this cleanly, is we like to see it where your, your fixed income sources, let's say, your pension and your Social Security cover your fixed expenses. That's a wonderful place to live in that world. And the reason being is that way your discretionary income sources, your, your TSP investments, uh, rental properties, if there's ups and downs in the markets or something goes vacant, uh, they can cover your discretionary spending. And, there, and so if there's a bad time, if it's 2008 all over again, hey, maybe we don't take that trip to New Zealand that next year. Is it quickly, is there a difference between the first supplement and then what you're calling the Social Security? Or are they one and the same? Or is that what you're calling the first supplement? The first supplement, or also called the Social Security supplement, they're interchangeable words for that, is, is not actually, that check does not come from the it's Social Security. It's the Social Security. Security portion of it. So the, the, yes. the FERS employee has a three-pronged retirement. You've got your annuity, you've got Social Security, and you've got TSP. Right. And but, but bridge that gap until you're eligible for Social Security at 62. They provide you what's called, OPM will send you a check. It's called a Social Security supplement or a FERS supplement. Uh, it's based it. on your age 62 Social Security. Got it. Uh, and there's some factors in there with years of service and things of that nature. But uh, it's the bridge that gap between full eligibility and when you're actually able to collect true Social Security at age 62. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. I'm here with Michael and Glenn Livingston from Livingston Financial. We'll continue our discussion about the five biggest mistakes Feds make in retirement planning after this break, and a word from our sponsor. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com.
Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. I'm Tony Vernetti, and I'm talking with Michael and Glenn Livingston from Livingston Financial. And we are discussing the five biggest mistakes federal employees make in retirement planning. Um, so my, by my count, we're through two of them. So let's jump into um, the third one, which is improper planning for a retirement annuity. Yeah, for the survivor especially is what we talk about here, uh, Tony, is with everybody getting a pension and looking at that in, in retirement, we say a lot of times this is for you and your spouse uh, in, in retirement for your family. And so you got to plan properly for the survivor in case you were to pass away. And there's different levels you can have there through the government. They have a survivor annuity that you can actually pay for and have that you can leave a portion of your pension to them. It's going to either be a spouse, an ex-spouse, a minor child, a disabled child, or an insurable interest. Anybody with an insurable, insurable interest. Insurable interest usually has to be within like within a cousin or something closer. So it's, a, it's something you got to be able to prove and show there, uh, but it could definitely be uh, there to leave for them also. Where, where are they at with um, same-sex partners? Is that because I remember I did a lot of that back when I was practicing law with the, as an insurable interest back then? Is that well, of course, with the uh, with the Defense of Marriage Act and, uh-huh. uh, with the Supreme Court ruling, they're saying now again is what we've heard is they're still coming out with OPM, still trying to write everything. You know, it takes a little while to get all that written exactly the way, but they're supposed to be seen as a spouse now. Is what they're just seen as a spouse. That's supposed to right. be, yes. But, but back then it was really clearly an insurable, insurable exactly. interest. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. So, so, yeah, and looking at that, uh, you know, for the way they kind of look at it is for a CSRS employee, they can leave up to 55% uh, as a, a, for a survivor benefit. Again, we tell people that it's a full survivor benefit, 55%. They have all those options underneath of that, down to $1 they can go. For a FERS, it's different. It's 0, 25, or 50%. 50% is the highest they can go, and they only have those three options. And it's important to remember that your net worth might be off the charts, but if you want to leave health care to your survivor, which means you're no longer with us because we're talking about your spouse as a survivor, then you need to leave at least $1 as a civil service employee or 25% would be the minimum for FERS to make sure you can pass on those health benefits. And your health benefits are really worth their weight in gold. So you really don't want to mess that up. You want to know what you're getting into with the survivor benefit. That's interesting. So that's another element to kind of the, the financial planning that you may not be thinking about. You may just be looking at the numbers and you, exactly. you would think that the health insurance just, just passes on. I got to ask one question. I'm going to get myself in trouble. Uh-oh. Are there any CSRS people left? Yes. Dwindling. <laughs> They're dwindling. Uh, we were at uh, the Department of Transportation yesterday for a health and welfare, and I had at least five or six really? CSRs people come up and talk to us. Every time I run so. into one, I go, what are you doing? Go fishing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Absolutely. Get out of here. <laughs> Absolutely. We're, we're getting close so. to the end here with that. It's uh, Every time we do seminars, it used to be you know 40 people in a seminar. Then it was 30. I think uh, we just did, I did seminars this last week in Chicago, and there might have been 15 for an office that had you know 1,000 people in it. So. so so, so with the refers and the survivor annuity, I mean, do you have do you have like worksheets you you work through with people to kind of like you know play, play it out with 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 like you said you can be your net worth can be off the charts or you can have this property that property, I mean it's not you know a one size fits all it's not a line in the sand you know you really right. have to look at a lot of relevant factors and and you have to work through that with them and and exactly and one of the things we try to tell people is make sure you know your options i one thing we hate more than anything is hear people that are like 20 30 years in retirement saying i wish i would have known uh looking at things and at least if they can make an educated decision they feel better about it. So we tell people with your survivor benefits, you might want to look at other options. There could be options. Now, it doesn't mean it's for everybody. And again, it is based on an individual's situation. So, But maybe doing some kind of term or permanent life insurance might be a way of doing 
maybe doing not the full survivor benefit, uh, or maybe you have a good size TSP or a good size investments, like he said, and maybe you don't need to do the full survivor benefit. But that's something that's going to be a one on one sit down with people to see but, what's but best. But let's for talk them. about that a little bit. You know, some of the you know the ways to supplement or augment you know sure. what that survivor annuity would be. You know, would be you know potentially a, a you know a, a life insurance policy, whether that's a term. You know, universal or whole life. You know, you know exactly. That's something that they they could be looking into. Right. So for many people, because the health benefits are so important, uh, you really need some sort of minimum level of survivor benefit to make sure they pass along. The question is, is how much of a survivor benefit? And when you're trying to cal- do these calculations, the goal is really to make sure that your survivor, whether it's a family or, or just a spouse, maintains a similar lifestyle. That's what it comes down to. Maybe they're gonna have a cut in income a little bit, but you really don't want them to have to sell the house and move into here and, and not be able to afford the same lifestyle. So when we talk about calculating a survivor benefit, once we get past the health insurance issue, now it becomes, is it better for you to purchase a full survivor benefit or to supplement with uh, term or permanent insurance? Be careful buying the term insurance. It's not a problem, but always assume that you always outlive your term, right? If you buy a 20 year term at age 55, assume you live to be 76, all right, and then you got to answer the question: Now what? Terms really for an unexpected event. It is. You know, I, I think of it that way, but I'm. You know. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah. yeah so with the term insurance, you know, as a financial advisor, we like to plan for the worst and hope for the best, and life happens usually somewhere mm-hmm. in the middle. So it, you always assume you outlive your term, and a lot of people with a you know, tremendous TSP and putting money away for 30 years, 35 years, can maybe get away with the term and doing that. But a lot of folks who have to live off their TSP or they didn't save as much, they might need a form of a permanent life insurance that lasts a lifetime for the sole purpose of you, you really want to make sure that you don't outlive your coverage mm-hmm. on that. And at the end of the day, it really comes down insuring that your spouse maintains a similar lifestyle, however you guys define that. Well, I, I need to say something before we move on, just in case my spouse is living. She, you know, <laughs> you know, I think she should have some reduced standard of living. <laughs> well, my wife's probably going to upgrade spouses gonna, anyway, but we can't gonna, plan on that. definitely going to upgrade, right? <laughs> gonna, there's definitely going to be an upgrade going on. So, Absolutely. All right, let's go to um, number four, improper funding and allocation of, of the TSP. You know, I, I remember when I um, joined the government back in 1995, you know, the TSP was just coming in. You had three choices, you know, right. you mm-hmm. had, you know, and I was just told, put everything in C and hope for the best. <laughs> right, you got exactly. longevity. Hope for the best. That's right. But it's far more complicated now. Absolutely. Especially with the advent of the first system. So much is in your hands as the federal employee. It's, it's absolutely essential that you just, you start off putting money in your TSP. I know student loans, you're young, it's tough. You want to do things. But at the end of the day, you have to find a way to try to put 5% in your TSP. To get that FERS matching of 5%, try to live off 95%. Uh, and then from there, time in, well, I should say time in is so important. It's essential time. When it comes to compound interest, time is such an essential part of this whole thing that if you just start 10 years later, it can cost you half the money that you would have had even starting out at 22 versus 32. Right. There's all, there's, all those, there's all kinds of those great formulas out there. Mm-hmm. You know, a right. dollar today, you know, this or $8 a month gives, gives you X, Y, and Z. And it really, it really adds up. Absolutely. And, and we tell people they, they got to be consistent about it. So many people will tell us, well, I want to get the house paid off first or I got to get the kids growing well, and then we'll start com- uh, contributing. And they just they can't. It's well, just yeah, and it must be challenging with younger federal employees. You know, I, I've done some work with young government leaders, you know, and I've talked to them, you know, about that, that, the, you know, they're you know, we're paying off student loans. We're doing this. We're doing that. We're getting our life, you know, in order. But just 
putting it, you know, that little bit away, what's getting maxed, you know, each each pay period really adds up. And with that 5% matching now for FERS, if they're not doing at least the 5%. It's like you're giving money away. You're telling the government, I don't want your money. And that's, you uh, should, that's yeah, tough, you should so. give it to me. But, but we tell people, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. And we tell people on that side, at least try to get to the five as quickly as possible. But then, you know, they're allowed to put in up to 18000 a year in 2015 and 2016. And they, if they're over age 50, they can do an additional $6,000 that can go into there. So those are important things. Remember, that's $24,000 a year. Now, you'll have a lot of people say, we can't afford 24000 a year. So we tell people, we understand. The mortgage has got to get paid. you got to buy groceries. But if you can up it by half percent, 1%. You'd be surprised what you get by on when it's not in your bank absolutely. account. Absolutely. And, and if you do that slowly, though, you can build up to it. Next time you get a step up or a, a pay raise, don't laugh, but a pay raise, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, maybe increase it by 1%, 2% until right. now you're getting up there to that twelve, thirteen thousand 13000 a year, 15000 And before you know it, you'll be at that max there and it can really help you a lot. So if you do it incrementally, it's really not that big of a sacrifice. If you can somehow hurry up and get the 5%, but then as like you said, Michael, you get a 2% COLA. That would be nice to get, I, I realize. But maybe you can add, bump it up a half a percent. You get a step increase where you get a 6% pay raise. Hey, pay yourself two first and then keep the four uh, things of that nature before you know it you're 10 12 percent and no, it really wasn't yeah. that big of a sacrifice and i and i talk to young young feds all the time and i really believe that look if you we a lot a lot of us just you know we we spend what we make we you know you, you live yep. into what you have that if you if you just didn't have it in there and you're saving it um you know it, it it's really there and that's the whole it's the whole reason for the shift you know in, in for furs is to kind of and it, it's also make it far more portable Right. Um, that was the whole reason, you know, one of the reasons, um, other than the government probably right. wanted to save a little money, <laughs> um, <laughs> moving away from CSRS. Well, we didn't say that now, but. <laughs> you know, but so you could pick up your, you know, your, your 401k-like plan and, and move to, you know, different agencies or, or move, you know, even, even outside the government or come back to the government. Right. The, the last thing on that that we say about the TSP you got to be careful of is to be diversified. That's, That's what I want to talk about, ones. allocation Absolutely. and diversification. Allocation. And, and really, when you think about it, there's really three risks that we see as the three biggest. Now, there's all risks out there, but I'm going to let Glenn kind of share a little bit about the risks and uh, let him hit some of those for you. Well, a couple of mistakes that we see with this part is people are too conservative too soon. They don't know what to do, so they're ultra conservative. And so you're never going to get from point A to point B if you're too conservative. You can save all the money you want, but the interest part is just as important as the time kind of going together. The second thing that we see as a mistake is you're retiring in two years and maybe you're 100% in the stock market. And maybe that's not a mistake for you, but you got to be careful. I mean, imagine retiring in 2009 <laughs> and having 100% of your TSP you know, drop, you know, 38%, 35% because you're all on the C fund. So you got to be careful with that, but we got to be careful of stock market risk. That's the one that everyone's, that hurts. That's the bandaid ripping off. It's painful. But because of that, we end up seeing a lot of people, you know, move to the G fund and the G fund's a great place to kind of hide out for a little or, or short term or, or protect yourself from some of the pain of the stock market. But over the long term, inflation risk is just as big of a problem. All right. So if your G fund is paying two to 3%, let's say, and inflation's three to four, uh, you're actually losing money. It doesn't feel like it. You don't feel it because mm -hmm. your principal didn't go down, but your purchasing power goes down. And if you think about it, the, the only reason for having money is to be able to purchase things. I mean, whether it's bread and milk or Ferraris and exotic boats, it doesn't matter, anywhere in between. But at the end of the day, if every year you can purchase a little bit less, you're actually losing money. So we have to mitigate stock market risk, inflation risk, and then the third one, and you could probably name 10 more, is interest rate risk. And that's a big one today, right? So I'm at 43. I'm loving the fact that these low interest rates that my uh, mortgage is at 4%, but it's killing the seniors today with the CDs, um, their, their bonds aren't hardly paying anything. And then if we anticipate interest rates to rise over the next 
you know, five to 10 years, let's say, that can really have a major impact on the bond market, the F fund inside your TSP. So we mm-hmm. have to be careful with that as well. So you need a plan that mitigates the long-term risk of inflation and interest rates, but we also can't afford at the same time to lose it 20, 30, 40% any given year. How do you handle somebody, you know, somebody who, because I've seen people like this, I know people like this, is they'll, they'll you know, March 2000 or put it, put the whatever date, you know, where you had the, the, the significant reductions and, you know, they've saved up a lot in their TSP and, you know, it's my wife just did this to me. She came with her, I just lost X amount of dollars because the more it is, the more, you know, 10% loss is, is a bigger number. And then they just freak out and they get overly conservative and say, I'm moving it all to this, you know. Well, you know, how do you, you know, how do you counsel people to, to, you know, like we're in it for the long haul? Well, I think what you said is right. We have to counsel. I, I tell people half the time we're playing psychologists more than advisor uh, trying to talk people off of that. But again, we say the G fund's a great place to hide out for short term, but it's also the worst thing because you can sit there too long uh, in that. And, and usually we try to talk to people trying to look at the long term perspective, uh, not even just even when the downtimes come, but we get it a lot when people are getting close to retirement. They're 55, 60 saying they're going to retire. They think it all has to be in G fund. And we tell people, remember, this is money that's got to last you for the next 25, 30 years, sometimes maybe longer than while you were working. So you got to make sure you have that money diversified in a way. And again, we also don't believe you should be 100% in C fund either. You know, you got to have a good mix. And again, it's going to be based on your individual situation. I think sitting down with a good financial advisor can help you through that. Uh, Somebody that's not right there in the middle of it with you, they can kind of give you a level talking voice, kind of calm down, let's work through this uh, at times. And then what about somebody who's maybe on the other side of that, who's really aggressive and just wants to time it? You know, I Mm -hmm. want to move in and out. You know, how do you counsel somebody like that? You just have to be careful with that. You can make it takes one bad call. So if you're ultra aggressive, it uh, if you if you err on the side of a diversified portfolio and being a little bit more conservative, um, you know you, you don't have to take you don't have to worry about such a big loss. But you're not gonna get you're the biggest in out, returns in the world, but you're not gonna get the biggest losses in the world, and you're right. hedging your bets. And there's so many things that go into that formula. Your age. I mean, you can be far more aggressive if you're younger. You can you know stomach the ups and downs because you're just dollar cost averaging. Um, but, but if you're getting close to retirement, it might help to take a little bit of money off the table uh, just to try to, you're going to still make money in the G fund, but maybe it's just to, whether it's, you know, 5% or 30, that's up to you. Maybe you don't even need the money till your seventies and mm-hmm. you're retiring at 60. So there's so many factors. It's hard to give a specific number, but uh, you do have to be careful of being ultra aggressive, getting close to retirement because you don't have time to make it over again. Right. So much you hear about um, in the financial, uh, doing what you guys do in the financial industry, you hear so much, which is why we read these disclosures um, about hidden fees and you know fees like that. You know, you hear you hear so much um, about that. Um, it's always been my understanding, at least the the the, the funds that that. TSP runs all that stuff. I mean, they're across the board. Some of the the, the lower, you know, and fees that you're going to find, you know, anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, is is that still true? It can I, be absolutely. Sure. the The TSP has extremely low fees. It's great for accumulating assets. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things uh, that you have to be uh, to think about too is diversification as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, their fees is part of the story. I mean, there's nothing like having a big headwind where you're making 8%, but oh, I got to subtract 2% for fees. So that's that's part of the story. But the other part of the story you need to think about as well is making sure you have proper diversification uh, in, in your nest egg. How, how do you advise um, um, employees who are leaving the government, you know, and I'll give you like two examples, somebody who, you know, left after eight years of service like me, you know, or somebody who did a full career, 30, 30 plus, um, you know, do you, and, but they're not eligible to take that money out yet. Um, 
you know, do you do you counsel them to leave it there? Do you counsel them to roll it over into something else? You know, how do you, you know, and well, that sort of goes off my fee comment, right. you know, because it's still a good program. You know, you're not federally employed anymore. Well, I think the thing is, and again, the famous answer, it depends yeah. <laughs> on what it is. And we say it's in their situation and what's going to be best for them. Uh, the one thing that right now that we, we see as a negative on the TSP, the, the two sides we see negative is, is that with the five options is all it is, index funds. When we talk about diversification, problem is now with the world economy the way it is, the CINS fund, pretty much when one's up, the other's up. When one's down, the other's down. There's no so stock picker in there. There's not a stock picker. So, so you're either all in or you're all out uh, or some there's kind no, of mix of that. There's, there's not no a, Glenn Livingston in there, there there's picking not, stocks for me. There's not. So, uh, you, so you know, when you move out to an IRA, you have a lot more options right now for investment. So you can look at that. Now, again, you might pay some higher fees. It depends on where you go. Again, with ETFs nowadays, you can get a lot cheaper yeah, fees for, too. So. For IRAs, I mean, you can keep the fees way down in IRAs. Um, and there's, dude, the way you look at it is this, is uh, the IRA is going to give you more investment options. And for $8 a trade at, at some place and buy some ETFs, you can pretty much get very similar funds, mm-hmm. if not the same funds. Uh, but maybe you also have another 10, 15,000 options. Right. But you're on your own. I, I think, like your it, TSP, yeah, I think it's own. all sometimes personal preference really and is. what you're comfortable with. And the biggest thing I've found before you go into this last one is you need to have a plan. Absolutely. You know, and you need, and you need to execute Absolutely. that plan. Absolutely. Um, so the last biggest mistake is you know, that we have here is not understanding the cost of FEGLI. And FEGLI, um, if our listeners don't know, is the Federal Employee Group Life Insurance Program. Right. What's that all about? And, and in looking at that, this is the life insurance the government has provided to their workers. And it, it's when you're young, it's really cheap. There's the basic coverage, which is pretty much your salary, a little bit more. Uh, then you have the three options, option A, B, and C. And A gives you an extra 10000 Option B, you can do one to five times your salary. And then option C is a family coverage. Those are all a five-year renewable term that's there. So the problem is, especially we say option B, is as you get older, it's based on age bands, not your health, it's going to get much more expensive and can actually be to the point where it can get very expensive. And usually that's the time when you might need it, <laughs> as when you're later in life that it gets so expensive. Uh, yeah, one of the things about these electronic statements, and they're wonderful for saving paper, but one of the negatives is people haven't looked at their uh, pay stub in a long time, right. and they don't realize they're paying $300 a month for Fagley Option B or $400 a month for Fagley Option B, and maybe they don't even need that coverage, or they could have you know, put $300 a month into a, a private policy that you know pretty much locks in that price for the rest of their life instead of going up every five years. So. The thing with, with Fagley is not understanding the cost is right around your 40s and 50s, that price for option B really starts taking off. And you need to be cognizant of that because a little bit of planning ahead means that you could probably start looking in private industry for some alternative insurance right. coverage for the same price, maybe less, and have these rates locked in for life as opposed to just you know keep paying it every five years. It goes up and up and up. And then one day you're older. Private life insurance is too expensive. Next thing you know, you're just dropping your Fegley coverage after handing right. in tens I mean, of thousands too, of dollars. Too many federal employees are just trusting that, that I got a federal job because I'm supposed to get the best benefits in the world out there, and then that this is supposed to be you know, one of, one of the best benefits. Right. So we're going to have to stop here um, for our second break, um, and we're going to have to say goodbye to Michael and Glenn. I, Guys, thanks for your time today, and we appreciate you sharing this important information with our listeners. Um, I know you've got to read your disclosure <laughs> One again, more time. so go ahead and read that. One more time. And then I'll take official. us out the break. So, Glenn and Michael are registered representatives of Invest Financial Corporation, member FINRA, SIPC. Invest and its affiliated insurance agencies offer securities, advisory services, 
and certain insurance products. Invest is not affiliated with Livingston Federal or its affiliates or other entities named. Invest does not provide tax or legal advice, and Invest cannot speak to the accuracy of the first civil service, Fegley, other government programs, information presented. Information was obtained from the Office of Personnel Management. So when we come back, we're going to shift gears, and we're going to have Tony Zaranti on from WEPA and Brian Curris, who's with Signature Financial Partners, which is a member of John Hancock Financial Network, and they both promised me they're not going to read any disclosures. (laughs) So now this, a word from our sponsor. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. If you're a federal law enforcement officer, then you know to do your job, you tap inside sources. To have a voice on policy and legislation, you join FLIOA. And when you want federal law enforcement officer news and up-to-date federal court decisions, you read FedAgent.com. If you aren't reading FedAgent.com, subscribe today. It's free. Don't let this source pass you by. I'm John Adler, president of the Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association, and I approve this message. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. I'm Tony Vernetti, and I would like to welcome to the show Tony Zaranti from WEPA and Brian Curris, who is with Signature Financial Partners, which is a member of John Hancock Financial Network. And they're going to tell us a little bit about some other financial planning tools available to federal employees and their families. So Brian and Tony, good morning and, and welcome to the show. Good morning. morning. Tony, let's start with you. Um, I mean, most people should know in the federal community who WEPA is. You guys have been around forever, you know, um, really as a, as a, as a, as an alternative to Fegley, we just talked about the Federal Employees Group Life Insurance Program, but let me ask you to go ahead and introduce WEPA to our listeners and um, speak a little bit about, you know, kind of the products that you all offer. Sure, thanks. Um, WEPA actually has a pretty interesting story. Um, we are a nonprofit member association but we were actually founded in 1943 during the middle of World War II uh, by senior-level civilian federal employees. Um, WEPA was created during World War II because at that time, civilians serving overseas were not provided any life insurance through the federal government. So the senior-level civilians stepped to the plate and they said, we need to, you know, we need to cover these, our employee, fellow employees overseas. Uh, they created this nonprofit membership association at that time. Um, and then ever since World War II has ended, WEPA has basically grown uh, from that point. Uh, so currently, uh, WEPA members uh, are worldwide. Um, they be, we've expanded beyond civilians serving overseas, and uh, currently all civilian federal employees, regardless of where they're, where, they're, uh, where they're situated, as well as spouses and children of federal employees, are eligible for WEPA membership. Okay, so tell us a little bit about um, the specific products you offer. I know we brought Brian here to talk more about, specifically about long-term care, but I want you just to speak a little bit about the life insurance and, and other products you all may have. Sure. So as you said, uh, initially WEPA was founded on this membership model, and uh, at that time, we and, and still today, we, uh, we still provide group term life insurance to civilian feds and their families. 
Um, as the Livingston folks had mentioned as well, um, we are a potential uh, alternative or supplement uh, to the uh, Fegley program. Um, WEPA, as a nonprofit, we're able to offer, uh, you know, the group term insurance um, and, and based on your individual needs rather than a huge group like Fegley is, uh, there's some potential uh, benefits, uh, serious benefits there uh, with our program. And that's an important um, point to make um, is WEPA is not an insurance company. You're a nonprofit association and people join the association. Um, so there are, I used to always hear about refunds being given. Is that still still the case? That is, we call them distributions. Okay. Um, and, 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 uh, just, just we can't call them rebates. On my bad. <laughs> that's correct. Or dividends. Correct. Um, that it, that is a one of the potential benefits of being a nonprofit is uh, is that WEPA, um, at the end of our every every fiscal year, we review our our revenues and expenses. Expenses primarily being uh, you know death claims and that sort of thing. And um, if there is some something left over, which usually there is. Uh, oftentimes we will return that uh, money directly back to our members as a distribution. Okay. So, I, you, know, I, you know, time runs fast here on Fed Talk. So let's jump into sort of the, the meat. I know we wanted to talk about one of your um, main products or is long-term care. You yes. have a variety of options available to WAPA members there. And we have Brian here to talk about, talk about that. Um, as I mentioned, Brian's with... Um, Signature, Signature Financial Partners, which is a member of John Hancock Financial Network. Am I doing that all right? Yeah, that's I'm, right. I'm good. I'm good with it all. <laughs> yep. So, so let's talk about long-term care. And I, and I, you know, having talked about long-term care on the radio before, I think it's important to kind of go through some some basics. Um, so, let me just first ask, what is long-term care? Yeah, good question. Long-term care is the type of ongoing assistance or supervision you may need when you're unable to perform normal daily activities on your own, such as bathing, dressing, eating, toileting, or getting in and out of bed. Not necessarily fun to think about, but unfortunately it happens to a lot of us. You know, everything we're going to cover here is for informational use only. We're not promoting any products per se, but most long-term care insurance plans out there are going to have a pretty universal definition. To qualify, you must need assistance with two out of six ADLs, or those daily activities of living, or for a cognitive impairment, such as Alzheimer's or dementia. Fortunately, they're going to define in a policy exactly what those areas mean, so there's not going to be any gray area. You know, when they say bathing, eating, dressing, what do they mean by that? It's just like you know the the ADA and the Rehabilitation Act disability law, you know, which is very complicated. And people always want to know what's a major life activity. Well, it is what you think it is. You know, you don't take off your common sense hat, and, and that's typically what applies. Um, I think in the long term care industry. So let's talk about who needs long term care. When you think about that, you know, I think about you know my you know my grandmother who passed away at ninety or things like that. But it really could be people of all ages, right? Yeah, that's right. In fact, is anyone might need long-term care. You know, it's important to keep in mind you may require long-term care at any point in your life because of an accident or an illness. It's most often associated with aging and for good reason. You know, people are living longer as a result medical technology advances, people need care for longer. So you'll typically see someone in retirement or and throughout, you know, at an older age need care, uh, but it really could happen at any time. So let me ask um, tip again the what people think about when they when they think about long term care you think about being in a nursing home. Um, so where where is long term care received? You know, and for example, could it be received in in one's own home? 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, a lot of times when people think of needing care, going into a nursing home is the last place where they want to receive care if they ever do. Most plans out there are going to give you the flexibility and the choice where you receive care and who it is that's providing care to you. Nursing home is still obviously a place where people will receive care. You also have assisted living facilities such as Sunrise, et cetera, where one can receive care. You can move there, live there independently on your own. And then if you need care, there's going to be 24-hour care available. Home health care is definitely a big one. We see, you know, depends on the studies, but most new claims that come in are going to be for home health care. Just about everyone would prefer to stay in their home if they can, and you certainly have that option. Adult daycare is another area people aren't necessarily that familiar with, where you can go to a community-based facility, receive care during the day, and then return home in the evening. So I imagine, much like um, the my insurance company that I work with, um, professional liability insurance, that the biggest barrier to people buying long-term care uh, has to do with, I won't need it, it can never happen to me, you know. So tell us a little bit about, you know, kind of, you know, a couple questions in one, you know, how much does long-term care cost on average? And what are the odds that, you know, you know, one would actually need, you know, the need long-term care? Yep. Well, the cost for care itself, unfortunately, can be quite expensive. You know, according to John Hancock's cost of care survey in 2013, national average for one year in a nursing home can run more than 94000 a year. Assisted living facilities generally run around 41000 a year or more, 3400 a month. Uh, home health care can be 29600 a year on average. What some people don't realize, though, if you're receiving 24-7 care in that assisted living facility, it'll often cost a, a good bit more than that. Same for home health care. Your average cost is about $20 an hour for an aide. If you want to receive care around the clock, well, 24-7 at $20 an hour, it can actually be more expensive than to go into a facility. Sometimes that's why we see people go into it. As far as the insurance itself, it'll really range a lot based on your age, health, and a number of different factors. But you can you know, customize coverage in a lot of different ways. A lot of people aren't aware, but as far as needing care... 70% of people that reach age 65 are going wow. to need some care at some point in their life. You know, of course, you don't know, are you going to need care for six months, six years, or some other time frame? If we had a crystal ball, it would make it easy. But uh, a lot of people that reach 65 are going to need at least some care at some point. So we're going to have to stop here for our third break um, to hear a word from our sponsor. When we return, we will wrap up today's discussion with WEPA about federal long-term care. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. We are entering our last segment of the show today. We are talking about those supplemental insurance benefits available to federal employees and specifically federal long-term care. And I have Tony Zaranti from WEPA and Brian Curris, who's with the John Hancock, who's with Signature Financial Partners, a member of John Hancock Financial Network. I knew I was going to screw that up eventually. Um, but Brian, let me ask you... Um, uh, again, a two, two part question. 
Um, most people think that they don't need long-term care because other benefits will pay for it, whether it's Medicare, Medicaid, their health or disability insurance. Um, so tell us why that's not necessarily true. And then, you know, really why long-term care insurance is something, you know, that, that a lot of financial planners thinks is really necessary. Yeah, there's really not as much available to pay towards long-term care as most people think. You know, health insurance is generally intended to pay for acute or short-term illness, your doctor's visits, medications, et cetera. It's not going to be covering the costs associated with an aide who's in your house around the clock or going into a facility. Disability insurance, that's going to replace your income, but again, it's not covering those bills. Medicare will pay for some long-term care services, generally up to 100 days after hospitalization. It's not going to cover in a facility anything after that. So when we look at a long-term situation, you'll generally be on your own. Medicaid does pay a big portion of the national long-term care bill. However, it's going to require you to spend down your income and assets to the state-required level. So anyone who has retirement plan, home equity, other assets they may want to protect, looking at long-term care insurance may make sense. Unfortunately, it becomes one of the biggest risks of something that may come in during retirement and could wipe out a big chunk, if not all, of your nest egg you've worked to accumulate. You know, if you're looking at other insurance, you know, car insurance, home insurance, health insurance, you have all those there to try to protect your assets against something that could happen. And unfortunately, long-term care gets added in as one of those risks. So, you know, we talked so much on the first half of the show at Livingston Financial about um, planning for retirement and things like this. Um, you know, this is an aspect of, you know, not necessarily retirement, but it's also where I, you know, where I would think planning is important. You know, how are you going to handle, you're telling me 70% of the people are going to need it by a certain age, you know, so, so how important is planning for this? It's definitely important. The fact is, again, you don't know if you're going to need care. If so, it's definitely something you want to consider and look at what would the impact be to your finances, whether you're going to purchase or not. As far as when is the right time to look at it, it's really never too early to address it. Uh, most people, on average, studies will show purchase in their mid-50s, but the costs go up every year. Fact is, if you have any health conditions, that can definitely impact your ability to get approved. Insurance carriers can be pretty strict in terms of who they'll offer coverage to. Also, cost of waiting, just inflation. And a lot of policies will increase each year in terms of benefits. So if you're waiting to buy, you're buying at an older age, which is more expensive, and you need to purchase a bigger policy to equal the same coverage you would have had if you bought it up front. So, I mean, that's the question you get all, you must get all the time. You know, when is the right time? When is the right age um, to buy, you know, or, or really start playing? You know, I, I say, when's the right time slash age? You know, I could jokingly say the right time is the day before I need it. <laughs> you know, right? But what, you know, what kind of general advice do you give to, to people who are in the planning process and thinking about, you know, the right, you know, I guess the right age, the right time in their life to, to buy it. I mean, you know, as you pointed out, obviously, the earlier you buy it, the cheaper it's going to be. Um, you know, then the longer you might be paying into it. Yeah, exactly. The fact is, again, if you do wait until the day before you need it, you're probably not going to qualify, unfortunately. So we never know health-wise what may change. It's either going to make you not get approved or just put you into a, a higher risk class, which makes it more expensive. A lot of times I'll recommend mid to upper 40s, early 50s is a good time. Again, if you get it early 40s, it can be less expensive, but the jumps aren't going to be as much. In your 30s, again, depending on your health, family history, et cetera, may make sense, but some plans aren't available. There's carriers out there that'll start offering coverage at 40 and up, at least a couple of them. 
And again, we won't see as big of a change cost-wise. So that's typically when you want to start looking at it is late 40s, early 50s. Uh, from a financial perspective, and I don't know, it may be, um, you know, WEPA doesn't offer a plan like this, but are there plans that could actually be paid off? Are they plans that you're, you get involved in that you're definitely going to be paying you know, forever, you know, like, yeah. a, like a like a whole most, life or something like that. Most plans, either you're paying them in premiums or they're paying you in benefits. Again, it would depend on which one you're looking at. They used to offer some carriers 10 pay options where you'd pay it up over a number of years. They've really reduced that availability. So again, it would depend on the insurance plan you're looking at, but you're generally going to be paying into it for the long term. So of course, you want to be aware that you make sure this is a premium that you're going to be able to afford in retirement. And down uh, the line. Here's just another naive, stupid question for me. <laughs> I know, but you because know, you mentioned you're either you're either paying premium or you're, they're paying you benefits. Um, when you're being paid benefits, are you still paying premiums usually? Again, it depends on the product. A lot of carriers will have a waiver of premium feature, so that premium's waived while you're on claim. You know, I got four financial guys here, and all I hear is it depends. You would think I have four lawyers, <laughs> which I know this is going to be it depends to the next question I'm going to ask. Um, so how much coverage is the right amount? You know, well, how do you decide? It depends. <laughs> <laughs> the fact is, I'll show someone, you know, ideally, if the average cost is 258 a day in a nursing home, well, why wouldn't you want 258 a day? The problem is someone may look at the cost and say, I can't afford this. This is more than I'm going to allocate towards a long-term care insurance premium. I'm going to self-insure for the whole thing. And what they're effectively doing is they're deciding if they're going to shift all the risk to the insurance company or take it all on themselves. You can definitely go somewhere in the middle. So rather than setting up a policy that covers that amount, maybe we set it up at 150 a day or 200 a day. We get the cost down significantly. You know it's not necessarily going to cover every penny of a long-term care bill, but it's going to cover most of it. And that way you're paying something you're feasible with and you're still protecting most of that risk. So, again, it's it just seems, you know, it's something that that you, you know, one would think you can either, you know, like the decision is do I get long-term care or I don't? You know, when do I get it? You know, when should I get it? Late 40s, early 50s, what have you. When should I get it? What's the price going to be? But it really sounds like it's just a little bit more complicated than that. You need to be sitting down with somebody and going over your entire financial picture, um, you know, and running, crunching and running the numbers. You know, what what it could make the most sense. Here are the probabilities. Yeah, absolutely. So so let's, um, so we talked about long-term care. We talked about the need. Um, Let's talk a little bit about the plans that WEPA offers. Sure. We help WEPA members to shop options through a number of different carriers and then include a WEPA-sponsored group discount where available. So those discounts, in addition to a sponsored group discount, a lot of individual plans are going to give you health and marriage discounts. Uh, They may offer something called shared care, depending on which plan we look at, which will link policies together for a husband and wife. What does that mean, for husband and wife? Yep, exactly. If one spouse were to pass away, not use any of their benefits, other spouse would inherit all those benefits at no cost. One spouse were to tap into use all of their policy, they could use the other spouse's benefits as well. So that is a, a feature we'll often see available. Long-term care partnership approved plans uh, are available through individual carriers. And what that means, it's going to give you Medicaid asset protection. And if you exhaust your policy and you meet the definitions that, of being long-term care partnership qualified, you're going to be able to have additional assets protected if you need to qualify for Medicaid. So there's a number of different things to look at, but those are a few. Let me ask you a question. You talked about shared shared plans. Um, you talked about you know women, and I and I read 
um, somewhere in, in the literature preparing for the show that women um, may actually benefit more from long-term care insurance. Because um, I've also read research you know, for other shows that talk about women being underinsured in terms of, of life insurance is concerned and maybe disability insurance. Is the same is it the same true in the market out there for long term care insurance? Is that a phenomenon that's happening? Yeah, there's definitely a strong need for women to look at long term care. There's actually a lot more studies that have been released the last few years showing women on average need care for longer than men. Uh, we have seen some companies update their pricing, not all, but they're going to gender specific rates. And unlike Life insurance, where you typically see it costs less for women and more for, for men because we don't live as long, long-term care is the opposite. It's going to cost because we don't want to. <laughs> uh, we'll see long-term care plans are starting to become more expensive for women because the insurance companies are realizing that they're more likely to need care and need care for longer. Okay. Um, so uh, um, tell us the difference in why somebody would consider a WEPA plan versus, let's no secret, the federal long-term care um, program, which sponsors this show, um, you know, offers also a long-term care insurance plan. But why is, which I believe is a group plan, I'm not sure, I could be speaking on this one. Why is what WEPA offers a little bit different? What would the distinction be? Yeah, that well, you're right. The federal plan is a group plan. The plans we would offer through WEPA are individual plans. So they're going to have a lot of those things I mentioned. One, you have potential for a sponsored group discount, health discounts, marriage discounts, uh, they all have the potential to be partnership qualified. They've got the potential to build in that shared care rider. And, you know, like anything or like shopping any kind of insurance, it doesn't hurt to look at as many options as you can. You're going to get a better idea what the plan differences are, what you're looking for, how the costs compare. And that's the best way to make an informed decision what may make sense for you. So, again, just to be clear, um, like WEPA's life insurance um, program is a group life insurance program. Correct. Is that correct? Yes. You know, and what we're talking about with the long-term care options is there are a variety of, of markets you can go to to potentially shop what's in the best interest of this particular uh, member. Yeah, exactly. So it's a lot of the same plans that one may find elsewhere, but by being a WEPA member, they're going to be getting a group discount they may not otherwise get. So... Either Tony or Brian, tell us how somebody can get more information about WEPA and about these long-term insurance plans and other information. Sure. So the best way to get information about WEPA and the long-term coverage we provide, as long as the other uh, coverages and services we provide, is to go to our website. And that's www.waepa.org. Uh, again, we're an org, not a com. So WEPA.org is where you want to go. And we have all the information you need there, including how to become a member with WEPA. So that's all the time we have for the show today. Guys, all of you, Tony, Brian, Glenn, and Michael, thanks so much for spending some time with us today. And thanks to all of you to, for listening and joining us. Just a reminder that Fed Talk is brought to you by the attorneys of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. Have a good weekend, and happy Thanksgiving, everyone. <laughs>